we're getting close to the conclusion. We're not finished yet. We'll kind of put a wrap on it next week. Uh, the series of messages that we're going through, uh, what on earth are you here for? And I have to kind of apologize for something I didn't realize going into this series, that there are some errors in some of the things that are in the book. All right. Well, maybe not in the book, but it, it, it put it like this. So the book says it's not about you. All right. Uh, that's the very first line of it. And you got to kind of get operate from that frame of reference that it's not about you. It's about something bigger than you. I just didn't realize the bigger than you thing was actually me. OK, because it's not about you. It's actually about me. I don't know if you realize that, but I actually got this in the mail recently. It said a happy Michael day. All right. And then in small print, it says today it's all about you. And so it's actually not about you, it's about me, all right? So I'm really surprised that you didn't get me something on Michael Day, all right? I didn't get a single card or a letter, and I just want to point that out. So when you're wondering, who's it about today, you just remember it's about Mike, okay? It's about me today. No, in reality, I think that it's a pretty brilliant marketing scheme, however incorrect it may be, but it really feeds on our culture. We want it to be about us. You know, it, it caught my attention. I mean, how many pieces of junk mail do you get in a week's time? But when you put my name big and bold in the center of, of the thing and you say it's Happy Michael Day, then I'm certainly going to lean in on that. You know, I'm certainly going to want to pay attention because it's about me. And we like it to be about us. But we have learned through this study, hopefully you're trucking along with us, whether you're on day 15 or 25 or 35, hopefully you're still tracking with us to some degree. And please, if you're not with everyone else, in your group or with everyone else in the church, stay in the study. Even when we're finished, stay in the study. It's valuable enough that even if you take it one every other day, keep diving into it, keep working on it as, 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 we, as we plow through here. On day 29, though, you might have picked this up if you were reading it with me. Uh, most of the time, uh, most of the time, we're more interested in serve us than service. And we really are. We're more interested in how it serves us, what's in it for us. But I want to kind of review, because when we are in Christ, there's a different paradigm. We live under a different set of plans, if you will, blueprints, if you will. And so as we're looking at our plans here, then let's understand in review, quick, rapid-fire review, what have we learned so far? One thing we've learned about being in Christ, it's not about us, we're not the focus of it all, but that we are to bring pleasure to God. That is, that is our calling in life. It's the very first thing that we learn. And in one short word, it's worship. Whenever we love God and we are called to love God with all, our, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Matthew 22 says. We're called to love God. All right, that's the first thing. Number two is that we're to, we're to be in community. Don't go through life alone. Don't try it on your own. You will fall. You will stumble. You will mess up. And you will likely embarrass yourself, hurt yourself, and even lose your job, your family, and the whole world. You need a community of people around you. And you need to find a faith community. If it's not Grace Point, fine. I don't, I, I, that doesn't bother me. If I don't get offended if you don't come to Grace Point. I do get offended. I do hurt for you. I do want you to be somewhere in some faith family. Now, don't be going from one to the other, shopping it around. Find a family, plant yourself there, and be all there. Because we're called to belong. 
We're called to be a part of a family. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, one of our, one of our verses that we've worked on memorizing, be devoted to one another like a loving family. I want us to read it all out loud together because I want you to hear those words. Be devoted to one another like a loving family. All right, devotion, pretty high word there. How are we to be in this devotion with one another? Like a family. Okay, and how do you want your family to operate? Well, then you model for us and you model for one another what that looks like. So we're called to belong. We're called to love. We're also called to become, which is to become something that we're not. We're called to be transformed. This word, uh, this uh, different, uh, changed, status quo has got to go, okay? Uh, He's called us to a different life. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prayed. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That was the very prayer of Jesus at the end of his ministry. And he looked down at his disciples and says, God, I want you to change them. I want you to make them. I want you to rearrange them. I want you to make something of them. All right? Number four, we're called to serve God by serving others. Now, last week we challenged you to find that place of ministry. Why is that? Because we're told in the second commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I want myself to be taken care of. I want myself to grow. I want myself to be well-tended ta- well, well to and so forth. I need to do that for my neighbors. I need to be a blessing. I'm called to be a blessing to others. And that's a part of my calling. And how am I going to live that out in my life? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Again, the verse I wanted you to really zero in on last week. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Oh, say it. Come on. We are created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Where are you working? How are you serving? How are you being a blessing to someone? And he did this, by the way. He did this far in advance of our coming. So think about it like this. That God scripted your life and he planned your life for this hour, this day, this place, right here, right now. Now, how are you? taking the life that God has given you and being a blessing to others. How are you serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor? I I really believe this is one of the key things for understanding and living out the purpose that God has for our life. Everyone needs, now get this down, everyone needs a ministry within. All right? You're going to do ministry within the church. All right? Where is your ministry? And everyone needs a mission without. You need to be thinking beyond the four walls of this church. When you walked in today, you got a little card uh, stuck in your in your in your guide there, and it says just that. Everyone, are you? Where's your ministry here? All right. Where is your mission there? Within, without, here, there. Where are you going to serve the church? Because really, when you talk about ministry, you're talking about serving believers. When you talk about mission. You're talking about unbelievers, those who are not yet followers of Christ. Rick Warren said it like this on day 36, if you're up with us there. Your ministry is your service to believers, but your mission is your service to unbelievers. Now, throughout the rest of this message, throughout the rest of this service, I want you to keep this in your your lap. And I want you to be thinking about it. Where am I serving here? Where am I ministering? Where am I doing missions there because we're called to go that's one of the things we got to realize we're not just called to love we're not just called to belong and we're not just called to become and we're not just called to to bless but we're called to go it's a part of his calling on our life 
And if you don't believe me, look at these verses. John chapter 17, verse 18 makes it abundantly clear. In the same way that you gave me a mission, Jesus is speaking here, in the world, I give them a mission in the world. So Jesus, again, speaking to the Father, He said, you gave me a mission in this world? Well, guess what? I'm giving them a mission in this world. What is that mission? John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, what's He doing? I'm sending you. Jesus talked about how He came to seek and to save those who were lost. If we're sent in the same manner that God was sent, then we're sent to do the same thing that God was sent to do. All right? That Christ was sent to do. And that was to seek out those who are far from God. And to help bring them into a relationship with God. This is going to ask of us. Paul got it. That's why he lived his life the way he did. Acts chapter 20. Paul was that murderer kind of guy who hated Christians. And then became a Christian himself. And from that it changed his life. The most important thing is that I complete my mission. Are you getting this? He's given us a mission. Just like Jesus had a mission. Paul's saying I have a mission. I came to complete my mission, the work of the Lord Jesus gave me, to tell the people the good news about God's grace. So here, my friend, we have a mission. What is it? The mission is not inside this church walls. The missions are outside this church walls. The missions are across the street and around the world. And we need to be about that. Take your Bibles be looking for the book of Acts. Acts chapter one will be there in just a moment. But what is it, what was it, the central number one message that Jesus told his believers, listen, after his resurrection? After the resurrection, there was one message, and he said it again and again and again and again. He says it five different times in the last 40 days that he walks on the earth. He says one message five times again and again and again and again. And he said this, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I want you to go to the very end. I don't want one single person not knowing about me and what I came to do for them. Now, why is it that he had to do it five times? Do you have a bunch of slow-learning disciples? Well, probably so. All right? How many of y'all raise teenagers? All right? You ever have to repeat yourself? All right? Guess what? That's actually a part of the process of maturation. Your kids aren't any unique. I know you say, were you deaf? Did I repeat myself a hundred times? And that's true. You do. Well, Stanford, did a, Stanford University did a study on it, on why we have to repeat ourselves so many times. All right? Look at this study. For for some person to hear something and form an opinion on it, they've got to hear it seven times. All right? And then if you want to change somebody's opinion on something, they've got to hear it 11 times. And then if you want to form a new direction for them and they internalize it, they've got to hear that one central message 14 different times. That's why you've got to tell your kids 14 times to clean their room. That's why you got to tell them 14 times to do. Uh, hopefully, after the 14th time, you got it. Now, I'm not trying to uh, uh, encourage no discipline. There may be reinforcements you have to have along the way uh, to speed that process up. But the point being is this: is God has a mission for us, and He said it again, and He said it again, 
And he said it again and again and again. He said it a bunch of times so that we would hopefully get it and understand it deep inside of our core. Now, here's one of the five times that he said it. Let's begin reading. And it's just before his ascension. It's interesting. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he said, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay right where you're at. They're in the city of Jerusalem. They've been in the city of Jerusalem now for a good long time. And don't leave. All right? Stay there. And wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days from now. Now, this is about 40 days. Now, I want you to draw a line. I'm going to make it even clearer next week when I finalize the series. But there's 40 days between the resurrection and this moment. All right? We're going to be in this study for 40 days. And then what happens next week, and I'll save next week for next week, but it's going to capstone, it's going to launch something that's going to be very important in the sequence of events chronologically. And we're going to celebrate that next week, but we'll, we'll say that. But on this day, Jesus gives us kind of the parameters, kind of gives us an outline, kind of gives us a perspective of it. He said, I want you, the church, to stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, then you're going to have what you need to do to go out and do what I need you to do, what I've called you to do. You won't do it on your own. Stay here until that comes. Then they start talking in verse 6 and 7. They start talking about, you know, whether or not uh, the kingdom of Israel is going to be established now or not. And Jesus just says, no, 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 don't focus on the end times. Now skip down to verse 8. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, you will carry my message, you will tell my story, you're the one, (laughs) not the preachers, not the angels, I'm not going to write it in the clouds, it's going to be fishermen, tax collectors, untrained men, uneducated people, it's going to be you, Mary Magdalene. It's going to be you that are going to go out. And you're going to do what? You're going to be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He gives us the very scope of the work. Now, this is not sequential. This is simultaneous. This is not you do one, then you can do the next, and you do the next. This is going to be something that's going to be happening simultaneously all the time going on. But we need to have the scope of the work, and we need to understand that. Because what it's going to require of us is differently at different stages, okay? What's going to require for us to reach Jerusalem? What is that? Jerusalem are, are, the, are the people that are closest to us. And if you think about Judea and Samaria, you're talking about people who are just beyond us, beyond our reach, beyond our comfort zone, beyond beyond the people that we know, beyond our own culture, beyond our own race, beyond our own ethnicity, things like that. And then he says the ends of the earth. These people are far away. Every one of these stops on the journey, hear me, hear me, is going to require more of you than the previous. The first stop is going to require compassion. It's going to require care. These are the people that are in your life, and we really should care about them spiritually, but sometimes we just don't lose, we lose that. It's going to require an intentionality for you to be willing to walk across to a different culture, to be able to walk across to somebody who believes differently than you, lives differently than you, and we'll unpack that in a moment. It's going to require sacrifice if you're going to go to the ends of the earth. 
sacrifice, deep sacrifice, personal sacrifice. Let's unpack this. Three zones, if you will, that we have, that we have a mission that we've been called to, to be witnesses of. Where are we to go? The first one, we are to share with those in my own world. We're to share with the people in my very own life and world. Those are the ones that are closest to us. We should have compassion for them. We should care for them. But I'm afraid that we don't spiritually. We don't think of the people that we're sitting next to right now and the people that we're going to spend Memorial Day with and the people that we're going to, uh, to be with on holidays and things. We don't think of them, the people that we'll go to the gym with, the people that we'll work with, the team, people that we'll coach a baseball team with, the people that we live in. We don't think of them in spiritual terms. Well, if they have a baby, we'll bake them a casserole. If they get sick, we'll visit them in the hospital, send them flowers. But what about their soul? What about their spiritual condition? What about their sense of hopelessness that when they close the door at night and you're in your house at night and they're in their house and they're all alone and they're desperate and they're lonely and they're wanting something more and they're wanting what the meaning of life is and you know what the meaning of life is but you haven't shared it with them. And I get it, I get it. I'm scared to death of doing it. I'm afraid I'm going to mix my words up. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong things. I stutter over and, and, and trip over myself. I wonder though, do we even see them? Do we even share with them? Do we even feel for them any longer? Do we realize that 68, 68 million Americans, million Americans have no place that they call their church home? But in the same survey, 34 million of them said that they would attend if a friend invited them. We have done North Point, sur- North Point surveys for as long as I pastored the church, which is from the beginning. And we've asked this one question every time we offer a North Point new members class. And we get the same response every single time. We've done four, three a year. We, we, three to four a year. We've done it for 12 years. And every single time I get this one response. When we ask them the very first question, how did you first learn about Grace Point Church? The number one answer, friends and family invited me. Guys and gals, we got to realize we have a voice into friends, into family that are far from God, that if we would understand our role in their life and our role in this time and why God put them in our life right here and now is that we might be the very one that God put in their life to share His great news with them. When the, legion, when the man that was, uh, had a legion of demons inside of him was finally healed and re- redeemed and the demons were cast out of him and he was set free, what did Jesus say go to do? He told him in Luke chapter 8, verse 39, He said, go back home. Go back home, home, and tell people how much God has done for you. So, so the man went all over town telling how much Jesus had done for him. Listen, just take what God's done for you. Just take your story. Just take your faith journey. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be trained in, in, in any kind of special course to be able to tell people about Jesus. Just take your story. And just take it and just share it. Now listen, there's books written on this. There are courses written on this. I've taken seminary level classes on this. But let me, it's real simple. How you can take just just very simple three things that I want everybody to understand when I'm talking to them about their faith. 
If I'm talking to a child about their faith, if I'm talking to an African about their faith, if I'm talking to an educated person and I'm talking to an uneducated person, there are three things. Get them down. And I think if you take these three things with you and you overlay your story with it, you can lead anybody and everybody that is interested to faith in Christ. One thing they need to understand, I need to understand, is that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's the bad news. I hate to start with the bad news. That's the bad news. Everyone needs to understand that we're broken. If they don't embrace their brokenness, if they don't embrace their depravity, if they don't embrace that, then we really don't have a starting point. But I really... I really think if you approach it humbly and you tell your own story about how you are broken, how you're not fixable, and how, how, how God had to step into your life and fix you, and that you just tell a little bit of, you don't have to give them all the skeletons in the closet, just tell them the fact that your own brokenness and how God stepped into your life. We need to embrace that. We need to understand that. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 it talks about that there's not one righteous, not even one, but in the message it says it like this. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start at the identical condition, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. So if you want a starting point, you've got to have a starting point. The, all the starting point for everybody, the insiders, the outsiders, the ups and the, the down, uh, the, the brains and the, and the not-so-brainy people, the, for everyone, the rich, the poor, is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And, and, and tell about your own life. And number two, when, when you're telling them, also tell them that they can be saved. That's the good news. So you start with the bad news. I hate to do that, but you got to. You got to establish that ground that, hey, we're all broken and we all need to be saved. The second thing is you give them the good news. The good news, they can be saved. There is hope out there. There is another alternative out there. We can find rescue out there. God does not want anyone to be lost but God wants all people to change their hearts and their lives, Second Peter. He wants everyone. So let's just, let's just do this. So let's enter into this conversation because this is the way I see it happening. I have lots of conversations in the day. You have lots of conversations in the day. But if I start seeing myself as a missionary on mission living in northwest Arkansas, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for little pockets of opportunity, pockets where I can have conversations. Now, maybe it will be three minutes, maybe it will be five minutes, maybe it will be 20 minutes. But I'm looking for pockets of conversation, and in that pocket of conversation, I just want to talk about how I was broken and how I needed help and I needed to be rescued. I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And then I want to talk about how I can be saved. That God doesn't want anybody to perish, anybody to be lost, anyone to be, uh, to be jacked up out there. And I, there is good news that I can share and that you can share with them. The verse I want you to memorize this week is work at telling others the good news, 2 Timothy. Just work at telling others the good news. Who is it in your world, in your sphere, in your, in your context needs to know that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that they can be saved? And then thirdly, which is the best news, how to be saved. The how is, is extremely important. How is a person going to be far from God and enter into a relationship with God? And and, and the great thing is, 1 Peter makes it really simple. Christ also suffered for our sins, because we're all sinners, right? The righteous for the unrighteous. He's the righteous and we're the unrighteous. We're the jacked up ones. That he might do what? Come on. Do what? Bring us to God. 
That he might bring us to God. So if we want to connect with God, we're going to do that through Christ. And we need to help the world see the bad news, the good news, and the best news. It's about as simple as that. And if you tell your story and overlay your story into that, there's nobody that can refute that. That is the greatest news of all. In northern China, there was a lady who was with some missionaries one time, and she was being trained in, in, in how, to, how to do evangelism or how to tell other people about Christ. And, and she was so excited about it in her faith, and, but she didn't come back for the second seminar. She didn't come back for the third seminar. She just came to one seminar and she quit coming back. And the missionaries really got upset because this lady had such potential. She had such great networks and we could do so much with her when God could do so much with her. But, but she's just not available. She's not here. She's not trained. They ran across her 10 months later. They asked her, why didn't you come back? We wanted to train you. We wanted you to... I, see, I didn't have time. Oh, we don't, none of us have time. I get it. Why didn't you come back? Why didn't you make time? No, I didn't have time because I heard enough in the first time that we met that I went out and I started telling people, everybody I could, about Jesus Christ. 4,000 people in 60 house churches she helped to plant in 10 months. Listen, you don't have to be a theologian. You just have to have a story. And your story is of Christ changing your life. And just take that story and just shape it and say, okay, I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I found out that I could be saved. And then I found out how to be saved. Would you like it? Would you like to know Christ? Would you like to have that hope? Today, for some of you all in this room, this may be the most important message of all, this entire series. And if you're without Christ today, the very first thing you should do is say, Christ, I need you. I want you. I want to give my life to following you from this time forward. Do that right where you're at, right here, right now. The second, the second zone that we need to be thinking of is we must dare to reach beyond our world, beyond my world, my own little sphere. This is going to call us to move outside of our comfort zone. Notice that Jesus said, I want you to go to Judea and I also want you to go to Samaria or Samaria and Judea. Now, what's that? Well, if you put a map up, this may make a little bit better sense. Put the map up, you find where Jerusalem is. And it's not marked on this map, but if you kind of see that little green horn that kind of sticks up there at the north end of Judea and at the south end of, of Samaria. That's kind of where J- Jerusalem is. Okay? And basically what Jesus said is, I want you to go north and I want you to go south. I want you to go beyond where you live. I want you to go beyond your comfort zone. I want you to reach beyond your own little comfortable world. And I want you to get uncomfortable. Now, what does that look like? Because whenever he told him to go north and he told him to go to Samaria, that was actually probably a very big thing. And when he told him to go to Judea, was that really that big of a deal? I mean, it was just a little further south of Jerusalem anyway. It was a really big deal. And this is where the challenge comes upon us. Are we willing to be challenged to go to Samaria? Are we willing to be challenged to go to, to Judea? And what does that mean? Because, see, what keeps us from going are these barriers. And the barrier one is is a barrier of biases. We have prejudices. We have political parties. We have different views. We have different socioeconomic backgrounds. We come from different races. We have all these differences. We have different views on sexuality in this culture. But what Jesus did is he told you to go to Samaria. He told him to go to Samaria. Samaria was where the half-dogs lived. Jews didn't go to Samaria and and Samaritans didn't come to Jerusalem. They didn't worship in the same town. They didn't believe the same way. They didn't didn't think the same way. And the Jews would call the Samaritans half-dogs 
Now think about that for a moment. Go to the people that you're not like. Go to the people that you don't like. Go to the people that are different than you. Go to the people who think differently than you. Get outside and go there. Galatians says, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. I heard recently of a, a, a pastor in Boulder, Colorado, who has done an amazing job of reaching across uh, some very difficult lines for the church to reach across. Sexual orientation lines, to be exact. And has had some success in that area of reaching across to people who sexually believe differently and been able to reach them. One person in particular, he shared the story of this person who came to the church and was attracted to the opposite sex and actually even went through a surgery so that he could be of a different gender. I don't know if you call him he, she, or, or what, what, what at that point, but it gets kind of difficult and clouded. And this church was intentionally reaching out to these people. And it's beautiful and it's also complex because it makes some people very uncomfortable that these people, whatever you want to call, are in our church. And so I want to ask you the question, the same question that this pastor asked all this room full of pastors. He asked us this question, to what level of lostness are you comfortable? You just let that hang out there. I told the story of this one man who'd gone through this one surgery and, and then there was a, he became a believer too. And then there's a problem now. What are you and where do you fit into the church? And so, a women's retreat was offered in the church. And he, she wanted to go on that. What do you do with that? I don't have an answer. <laughs> There's not an easy answer to this. See, when we start reaching across to people who think differently than us, who live differently than us, it's not going to be easy. And there's not a really easy answer. But I think the question, really the bigger question, is what level of lostness are you comfortable with? Jesus called us to go to Samaria, to people that are very vastly different than us. But he also called us to go to Judea. That was to the south. How is Judea different than Jerusalem? See, Jerusalem was a very pleasant place to live. Jerusalem was the city. It was the capital city. It was the place where the temple was. It was the premier real estate place that you wanted to be. In fact, I looked up just this past week, the average temperature in the hottest month of the year, the month of August, is 70 degrees. It is on 3,000 feet above sea level. And it's a beautiful city. I've been to Jerusalem. It's a place that you would want to go and retire. Why would you ever want to leave 70 degree weather in August to go to Judea where there's a place called the Dead Sea? Where the average temperature in August is 110. Why would you ever want to leave comforts? Because here's the problem. is It's not only biases, but it's also comforts that keep us from going. He told us to go to Jerusalem. But he also told us to go to Samaria. And he also told us to go to Judea. And here's the challenge for everyone in this room today is I want you to not, I want you to do a a fair and honest assessment of yourself. What biases, what comforts are keeping you from living the Great Commission? 
What is keeping you from doing out, living out the mission of God? Will it change your lifestyle? Will it change where you live? It might very well do that. It's not going to be easy. So here's my challenge to you. I want to challenge everyone with this today. I just want you not to jump forward from doing nothing to being a missionary in Africa. Don't do that today. All right? You will die and kill me in the process. All right? I just want you to take the next step. Just take the next step in your mission's calling. If you have never even invited anybody to church this week, I want you to pray and zero in on one person. Not three, one. Who is it that I can invite to a safe environment to just explore and start conversations about God? That may be you. If you've never told your God story, then I want you this week to figure out how you can tell with one person over coffee, over lunch, in the break room, I don't care where it is, it could be at the park, it could be anywhere, about the bad news that came to your life and the good news that came to your life and the best news that came to your life when you became a follower of Christ. You don't even have to ask them if they want it. You can just tell them about yours. All right? If you've never done that before, I just want you to take one more step, not three, just one more step, on your mission's calling. If you're living comfortably and enjoying all the things of life, but you've never walked across to a person who believes differently than you, thinks differently than you, and befriended them, I want you to do that this week. I want you to go out of your way to find someone who's differently than you, who lives differently than you, who thinks differently than you, and befriend them and start hopefully having God conversations with them. If you've never slept in a tent, you've never eaten out of a common bowl, you've never danced under the moonlight, and you've never told the God stories to African villagers, I want you to pray about whether or not God's calling you to go for just a two-week global adventure and do what you've never done before and get outside of your comfort zone, get outside of your biases to places that God's maybe calling you to go. Take the next step. What's the next step for you? For some of you, for two or three of you maybe, it may be to go and live. Uh, not forever. Maybe for two months. Maybe for two years. You've gone on one of these global adventures. You've seen God rock you. I hold in my hand today something that I printed off this morning. I got just this past week from the Christian Missionary Alliance in West African country that we do a lot of our work. They're needing an ESL teacher to come for four months and to live in the capital city and to help teach. You, you don't have a training in ESL, that's fine. You don't have a training in teaching, that's fine. You can just go and be an English person and teach and practice with people of 101 students that they have right now and just go for four months and give yourself to something you've never done before. What is your next step? Number three. I must care for the frontier world. Notice that Jesus said, I want you also to go to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Where you feel like there's nobody and there's no faith and there's no God. We go, basically, we have two-pronged focus at Grace Point Church. We go to the under-resourced, many times, orphan ministries of Zambia and, and Cambodia this summer. We're going to send a team there. You'll get to meet them here in a few moments. And we're going to send people to places like that. And we're going to send people to the unevangelized. Do you realize that there's a large population of this world that we live in that doesn't have a Bible, that doesn't have a missionary, that doesn't have a church? How many churches did you pass to get here today? 
How many Bibles do you have at home? I just want us to have a global vision as a church and really understand things in perspective. Now listen, this may not mean anything to you. And I've sat in that seat before. And you may be hearing, oh, this is another one of Mike's rants on missions. Please, I've been there. We need to start seeing it from God's perspective. There's, there's places in this world where there's less than 2% of the nation are believers. I want you to throw the map up there. You see this world in which we live and all the stars are places that we're gone or we're going or we support mission work and so forth. But you want you to see this shaded in area. That's called the 1040 window. And in that 1040 window, that is the most concentrated area of lostness than any other place on the planet. From West Africa all the way through to China and in Japan. And in that window there, there are 4.65 billion people who do not know Christ. We're talking about the, the Yao people, the Turks, the Moroccan Arabs, the Pashtun, the, uh, the, 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 the Burmese. We're talking about people groups that, are, that populate that 8,000 different people groups that don't have a sustainable witness for Christ. And we sit here in our air-conditioned comfort. And I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. I love the air condition. I was a part of leading to build this building. But please, if it's about this building, listen, we're not just trying to build a big audience. It's my goal and my passion as a pastor to build a big army for God. I don't care if we're the biggest church or the smallest church in Northwest Arkansas. I want to be the most globally focused church in Northwest Arkansas. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Psalms 67, verse 2, send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all mankind. I've said where you're setting before. I can't say that emphatically enough. I was the guy, I was the, for 25 years, didn't care, didn't give a rip about what I'm sharing with you today. And in that 25-year period, I was even pastor of a church, and I didn't give a rip. One iota about the world. All I cared about was my world, my community, my thoughts, my comforts, my successes. And God rocked me. And I can tell you now, Lori and I, we sit in this room today and we're excited about what God has done. When we started in the living room and we went to a hotel conference room, we went to an elementary school, we went to Bentville High School, we went to that building and we've seen the church grow to where it is today. But I can tell you right now, I can cash it all in right now. I love you and I love this work and I love what it's all about. But let me tell you this, it all can be cashed in in a heartbeat. And y'all have another pastor here in three weeks. We live with one foot in Northwest Arkansas. Firmly planted. We love this area. We grew up in this area, graduated in this area. I was born at St. Mary's Hospital. We live with one foot in Northwest Arkansas. We live with one foot in the last frontier of this world. And we are ready at any moment to take the next step a little deeper or to stay here a little longer. I'm just saying this. I'm just saying everything about our life is on the table because we care about the last frontier. I want you to care about that area of the world that still does not know Christ. And it gets, it's not getting any easier, and it's not getting any more complete, and we're not getting done any faster. Because when we left the field, 
from Zambia to come back here in 2001. The largest mission sending agency in the world we were a part of. And they have more missionaries on the field than anybody else. At that time, there were 5,100 missionaries and the population of the world was 6.2 billion. I just want to let you know that there are 24 missionaries for every 1 million people. So we're not talking about a whole lot, okay? 24 missionaries for every 1 million people. And this is what we're looking at. We were 5,100 missionaries and there were 6 billion people. 6.2. Are we doing better today? Do we have more missionaries on the field today? I mean, we got more time and all that kind of stuff. We have a higher population and we have fewer missionaries. There's a problem with this picture, church. If we don't realize that even here in northwest Arkansas, we have a part to play in the world. If we and all of our resources and all of our Christian knowledge and all of our abilities, if we don't see that we have a part to play in God's grand scheme, we will be held accountable for that. There's something missing in the grand scheme of things. We have a call to missions. And my friend, we need to give like we've never given before. The sad thing is that the reason the missionary force is shrinking is not because there's less people willing to go. It's because less money is in the pot. Less money is given than ever before. Ever since 2008, that has tapered off and tapered off and tapered off. We need to pray like never before. We have our very first family that left out of our church a couple of years ago, and it's easy to forget them. The Halls. He was on our praise band. Troy was. Cherie served in our in our in our nursery. Worked in as a, as a worked in a physical therapy uh, place here in, in Bentonville. Troy did. Cherie was a stay at home mom. Raised her, raised the boys. They were American family. They picked up and they moved their family. Ended up having another child while they were over there. And they're living in a place that I can't even name today because it is so it is so insecure for Christians to live. They live under Sharia law. That's how dangerous it is. We're going to have a prayer time for them on Tuesday here at the church because we don't want to forget them. They're, they're doing what all of us need to be thinking about how I can be a part of. And they're doing it and we need to stand there with them. And I want to invite you come at noon to be a part of that prayer time we need to pray like we've never before we need to give like we've never done before and we need to be willing to go like we've never done before we need to put it all on the table today we need to take our card and we need to be looking at places around the world and we need to look at our own calendars and we need to be saying okay not start at the left and work our way to the right, but start at the right and work our way to the left, maybe. Am I willing to go? See, a lot of people are, 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 have, got, have, got, uh, have got some kind of Christian idea that, that um, well, I'm willing to go, Mike, but I'm planning to stay. That's kind of how they live. I'm willing to go. If God strikes me with thunder and lightning, then I'll go. If God gives me the, the money, I'll go. You know, they kind of put all these conditions. I'll go, but I'm planning to stay. Willing to go, but planning to stay. I want us to reverse that today. I want us to reverse it. And I want us to say this. I'm planning to go. And only if God gives me the absolute clarity will I stay. I am planning to go. Whether it's for 
two weeks or two years, I'm planning on going. So let's go. Listen, this is not just a call to to pack up your bags. It's a call to go across the street. We are called to be His witnesses. God could have done it any number of ways. He could have sent angels to be His witnesses. Think about it. It would have been beautiful to have Archangel Michael standing before you instead of Michael McDaniel standing before you. Wouldn't it be great if He had written it on the clouds and everybody would walk out, even in the Muslim countries, even in the Buddhist countries, even where Christianity is illegal, and you could see it on the clouds and nobody could miss it, and He would just write it out in some kind of story form in the clouds and everyone would see it and, and hear it, but He didn't. He didn't send his angels and he didn't write on the clouds. He didn't tattoo it on her body. You know what he did? He gave the message to every one of his believers. And he said, go. Go. Go and tell. Go and share. Go and give my message away. It's up to us. Would you pray with me? bow your heads and think for a moment about where you're sitting right now. Is there a ministry here that you are ready to be a part of? Is there a mission there that you're willing to go to? I I really hope that you will do some serious reflection in this moment. You have the card. You can fill it out in a few moments. You can come up and drop it on the stage. We, we really see that as a, as a great physical expression of, of something that's happening spiritually in your life. So, and you can just lay on the stage and go back to your seat. And, and, and we're going to contact you. We'll take the next move. We'll take the next step. But I just want you to take the first move. It's, it's, it's up to you. You've heard the message. Are you willing to go? Father God, we are your church. We, we hold in us a calling. We hold in us the Spirit of God. We hold in us the message of God. We hold in us the hope of salvation, the hope of the future. We hold in us, Lord, everything that this world is desperately longing and crying for. How can we keep it to ourselves? It's not about It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you. It's about being your witnesses. Lord, use us here and send us there. We are yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?